in the, uh, the Disney movie, Aladdin, which I'll confess I consider a classic. In the Disney movie, Aladdin, there is a question. A question that Aladdin, the poor but good-looking street rat, asks Jasmine, the rich and beautiful princess. He asks her this question two times, all right? Two times. The first time he asks this question is at the beginning of the movie. Uh, Aladdin and Jasmine are together. They just kind of got thrown together. They're both running away from the palace guard, though for different reasons, and they've come to a dead end. They've come up, climbed up to the top of this building, and they're there, and, and Aladdin's there looking over the edge, but there's nothing on the other side, okay? And they're standing there, and they're, and they're caught, and they're trapped in this place. The second time Aladdin asks this question is after he's found the genie in the lamp, and, and, and he's got the, uh, the magic carpet there, and he's floating on it. And he asks Jasmine the question again. In each of these situations, he reaches out his hand, Aladdin does to Jasmine, and he asks this question. Some of you probably know it already. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me enough to jump out this window? Do you trust me enough to take a magic carpet ride? Do you trust me enough to take a leap of faith? Do you trust me? Even though you can't see what's ahead, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? It's an important question for any relationship, right? I, I mean, if you're in a relationship with somebody, you want to know that that person trusts me. I, at times, you've maybe asked this of a spouse or of a child or of a parent. Do you trust me? Come on, mom and dad, don't you, don't you trust me? I thought we had a relationship here. Don't you trust me? I can drive to the store by myself. Do you trust me? I, I, I know it isn't clear why I think we should do this, but, but do you trust me? Do you trust me? It's a key question for any relationship, and I want to suggest that it's a key question that God also wants to know the answer to. All right, God also wants to know from us, do we trust him? In fact, I'd suggest that over and over, one of the key questions of the Bible that God wants to know from his people is, will we trust him? Will we trust him when he asks us to take a leap of faith? Will we trust him when he asks us to put, to be put ourselves in a, in a difficult spot? Will we trust him when we can't see what the future looks like. I want to think about that with you this morning. I want to think about trusting, and we're doing this as part of the series that we've been doing um, in Advent, and now we're extending it again one week beyond. But we call this series Anticipation, right? We talked about anticipating the birth of Jesus Christ and getting ready for it. In the first week, we talked about preparing, and we heard John the Baptist call us to repentance, to say that we, the way we prepare for God to come to us is we let our hearts get broken by our sins, and by our failures. And in the second part of this series, Daniel talked about discovering, uh, about recognizing that even though this child in a manger doesn't look like the Savior of the world, that even though as he grows up, it doesn't seem like he's changing everything as quickly as we would like, we still discover that he is the one. We discover that he is the one we can trust. He is the one that we can follow. And then on Tuesday evening, we talked about receiving, about God's grace has appeared that God's grace has appeared and, and we need to receive that grace and let God's grace wash over us. And it actually works pretty well to change this around because this morning we're going to talk about trusting, all right? Saying God's grace has come and, and he invites us to trust him. And, and I think, you know, it ties into baptism that, that again, we take our kids and God, we say we trust that you will help us in this. God, we trust you in this. And as we begin a new year, God, we trust you. So do we trust him? Do we trust God? In order to look at this, I want to take a look at one of the characters of Christmas called uh, by the name of Joseph. Familiar with the name, probably many of you are, but really not that much uh, familiar with the character. Joseph has been called the, the forgotten man of Christmas, right? We really don't know very much about Joseph. 
We don't read any words that he says. Joseph never speaks in the Bible. As much as we know about Mary and her pondering things in her heart and the song that she's sang that we sang this morning, as much as we know about Mary later on, Joseph, we just don't ever hear anything from him. In fact, we don't know how old he was. Interesting exercise if you want to do it sometime this week. Google Joseph, father of Jesus, and then click on images. You're going to see an age range that's huge. You're going to see a number of folks who will paint him as 60 years old, okay? Um, still young, but getting there. You know, I mean, some paint him as 60 years old. So that was the second marriage. Uh, those are the, the, tradi- the traditions. Uh, for example, Catholics who say that Mary was a perpetual virgin, virgin they, they tend to kind of say Joseph was an old man and he died, uh, you know, just after Jesus was 12 years old. But you're also going to find pictures of, G- of Joseph where he looks like he's 16. Tend to be more drawn by Protestants. Uh, and, and, and so it's interesting. Again, we don't know how old he was. He could have been 60. He could have been 16. There, there's not that much we know about him. He shows up the, for the last time in the gospel stories when Jesus is 12 and Jesus goes to the temple and Joseph and Mary are there with him. And after that, we don't know what happens. We're not told that he died. We're not told why he doesn't show up anymore, but he doesn't. So what do we know about Joseph? Let's take a look at Matthew 1, at the main portion that tells us about Joseph, and then we'll kind of reflect on what it teaches us. Matthew 1, starting at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So Joseph, who was he? What was he like? What's going on in this story? I I, I think that if you and I could have gotten to know Joseph, I I think we would have liked him. I I think one of the first things we would have noticed is Joseph is is a quiet guy. Uh, again, he doesn't speak a word. He doesn't push himself to the front. I think Joseph was one of those guys who was really happy to say, if I'm the forgotten man of Christmas, that's fine, because it's not about me. Joseph didn't need to be on stage. Joseph didn't need to be in front of anybody else. Joseph didn't need to have that. He was just quiet, okay? He didn't speak a lot. He didn't push himself to the front. He just kind of quietly did his thing. He probably grew up in Nazareth. We, we don't know for sure exactly even where he grew up or, or where he was living when they got engaged. Some people say Bethlehem. Most people say he grew up probably up in Nazareth. Might have been born down in Bethlehem to the south, um, but his family perhaps went and moved up to the north um, in, and, and, uh, into the area of, of Nazareth where Jesus was going to grow up and where Mary was from Nazareth as well. His family was, they were called tectones. Okay, that's the, the, the Greek word, tectones. It means artisan or craftsman. It's one who works with his hands, okay? So, so what they were is they were a family that worked with their hands. And, and one of the reasons this is, is kind of interesting to think about is that many of us have been raised to think that Joseph was a carpenter, right? He worked with wood. It's possible. This word means somebody who can work with wood. But it also meant a stonemason. 
somebody who worked with stone, who, who shaped it, who cut it out of the ground, who did those sorts of things. And, and, and given the fact that there's not a lot of wood up by Nazareth, a lot of folks are starting to say, you know what, Joseph was probably somebody who worked with stone. He was probably a stone mason rather than a carpenter. There was a lot of building going on in the city of Zephorus, which is just a, a little bit away, a couple miles away from Bethlehem. And it could well be that Joseph's family went up into that area, went up into the area of Nazareth and, and worked in Sephorus because it gave them work to do. One other thing that, that I learned last spring about tectones, about those who were stonemasons, and again, not sure this is true of Joseph, but, but there was a saying among the rabbis, um, that would say this, if you, if you cannot find a rabbi, find a tectone, find an artisan, find a craftsman. Now, why is that, right? I mean, if you can't find a pastor, go get the carpenter, go get the stonemason. Why would that be? Well, the reason for that is that the, the, the way that they would work with stone, the way that they would break apart stone in those days is, is that, uh, again, at the end, they could chip it and shape it. But before that, when they wanted to, to break up big pieces, what they would do is drive a piece of cedar in, they'd chip out a, a place, drive cedar in, get that cedar wet, and as it expands, it would start to crack the stone. They'd push it in a little further, get it wet, and it would expand and crack the stone. Well, you know what? There's it's a lot of time to sit around, Right? There's a lot of time while you're waiting for that, that cedar to expand. And, and, and apparently, these would be people who would study the Bible. And, and so the tectones, and Joseph may well have been somebody who had just deeply studied the Bible, not a rabbi, but somebody who knew it backwards and forwards because he had had that time to do that. I, again, we don't know, Carpenter, was he a, was he a stonemason? But in, in any case, he, he worked with his hands. Good, honest work with his hands. And those hands were strong and calloused but also soft enough to carry the Son of God. He was, Matthew wants us to know, righteous. He was faithful to the law, but he was the good kind of righteous, okay? He wasn't the kind of righteous that was looked down your nose at others. He wasn't arrogant, he wasn't proud, but he was the kind of righteous that he's just a solid guy. If he gave you his word, he was going to be there. If he said he was going to do something, he was going to do it. He just did, quietly did the right thing. He was a descendant of David, but again, on the one hand, we say, well, that's important because Jesus had to be a descendant of David. On the other hand, guess what? There were a lot of descendants of David at this time, okay? There were a lot of descendants of David. This is a thousand years later. The name Davidson, right, son of David, the name Davidson was really common in Israel at that time, kind of like DeVries in West Michigan. Yeah, are we related? Probably somehow, somewhere, but it's not necessarily something that's real close, right? I, I mean, that's the way it was with Davidsons. That's the way it was with those who were the sons of David, the, the descendants of David. There were a lot of them. So it wasn't like Joseph would have been saying, hey, I, I wonder if I'm the one. I wonder if I'm going to be special and my children are going to be. No, that, I mean, yeah, David was great. But there are thousands of them, and, and, and he probably wouldn't have been worried about that at all. He was, as we know, engaged to Mary. And if there's one thing that brought joy into his life, it seems to be Mary. She was wonderful. She was a sweetheart, and he seemed to love her dearly. Now, we should understand, engagement was a little bit different in that day than it is in ours. There were kind of three stages for engagement in, jo in Joseph's day. The first stage was the, the contract itself. Um, they would set it up. It would be the parents setting it up, the betrothal, the, the legal contract. And at that time, uh, money would exchange hands. Uh, there would be the dowry established and all that stuff, okay? And so that would happen. And then for a year, they would be engaged, okay? During that year, they would be engaged. Now, during that year, it was stronger than our engagements because they had already signed a legal contract. 
and, 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 and you were considered husband and wife, though you didn't live together, and you didn't sleep together, okay? You were considered husband and wife. In fact, the only way to end this was, was, was to divorce legally, okay? And, and if a man died while he was engaged, his wife was considered a widow. We don't have that today, right? If, if you're engaged to somebody and your, spou- your spou- husband-to-be dies, you're not a widow, right? You, you're not. You weren't married. In that day, it was. You were a widow. It was, so it was stronger than our sense of engagement. And then at the end of it was the marriage itself, okay? That was the third stage. And so we've got to understand that he was, this was a really deep, strong, powerful commitment. And, and, and Joseph was excited about it. And, and I think for me, one of the things to recognize as is, is I think about all this is I try to get a picture of Joseph in my mind. I think he was one of those guys who just didn't really like surprises, okay? He was, he was an engineer, right? He liked to make plans. He always colored inside the lines. He did things the way they were supposed to be done, right? I mean, it, this is what you do, and this is what... And he laid it all out, and he knew when he was going to do this job and when he was going to do that job. I would imagine that Mary was the one who was saying, come on, Joseph, can't we just be spontaneous a little bit? Can we just do, you know, can we change our plan and not have, you know, chicken on Thursday night? Could we do that on Wednesday night? But I, I got to, Joseph was one of those guys who was like, no, man, we just, we know what we do. We decided we made this plan and now we just work our plan. And, and, and that's just the way he was. He didn't like surprises. He liked things to go the way they were supposed to go. Which is why it was so difficult for him when God started throwing monkey wrenches around. I, I think God likes monkey wrenches. I think God has this pattern of constantly, especially I think for those of us who like to plan, for those of us who like to say, I like things to go the way they're supposed to go. I don't like things to get out of control. I like to be in control. I think God has special monkey wrenches for us. And I think he likes to just kind of throw them into our lives sometimes. And that's what he does to Joseph. We're told that Mary, during this period of engagement, is found to be pregnant. Do you ever think about the way that's worded? You're never found to be pregnant. No, you're found to have a wart. You're found to have the flu. You're not found to be, you get pregnant, right? You get pregnant. But oh no, Mary was just found to be pregnant as if something like that just sort of happens. Now you and I know the next words are found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, right? Joseph doesn't know that. And Mary tries to tell him, really Joseph, honestly, and again, just, I mean, you just want to say, come on, I mean, put yourself in Joseph's shoes. So, so hold on, Mary, you're telling me that an angel came to you and you're pregnant with God's son and you never had sex with anybody. Right. Mary, I know I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm not that dumb. I know how it works. I've seen animals on the farm. I, I know how this goes, Mary. So please stop lying. Can we at least tell the truth to each other? Can we at least tell the truth to each other? I think Joseph up to this point would have said, I'll do anything for Mary, but he realized this was a step too far. This was a step too far. It was too much. He struggles. It it hurt on on so many levels, all right? There was so much pain. Again, a guy like Joseph, he, 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 he didn't live on the edges. He lived in the center. And when you live in the center, your life doesn't get turned upside down. People who do crazy things, they can expect their lives to get. But Joseph didn't do crazy things, but this was devastating. I mean, there was just the betrayal that Mary had slept with somebody else and the hurt and the pain that that had caused and the shame, <laughs> the horrible shame uh, uh, of Joseph. He wondered, I mean, you got to believe in a situation like this. Did everybody else know? Did everybody else know that Mary was sleeping around? Am I the last one to find out? Was it clear to everybody else? Am I, am I just such a fool? Am I so blind? 
Am I such an idiot? Is everybody else just kind of going, Joseph, we knew. We knew. We didn't tell you, but we knew. She's been doing this all along. And then again, the lies. That, that she would try to make up the story and try to tell him, oh, this is from God. Come on, Mary, let's just own it. And so Joseph has a decision to make. And, and, and it's interesting because Matthew goes out of his way. As we think about this decision, Matthew goes out of his way to say, Joseph, being faithful to the law. Joseph was faithful to the law. And he decides to do two things. First, he decides to divorce her, okay? He says, you know what, I, I can't go on with this. I can't, I, I can't do this. Whoever you slept with, go marry them. But I, I, I'm done, okay? And, and, and that was what the law said. I mean, Joseph's not a yeller, but at this point he had every right to. The fact is he had a right to demand she be stoned. And, and, and minimum was divorce. In fact, it would have been illegal against the law not to divorce her, okay? That's how strong the law was there. So he decided to divorce her. But he decided to do it quietly. And I think that's really important. I want to think about that for a little bit with you. He decided to do it quietly. See, there were two ways to get a divorce for somebody in this situation. One way was the very public way. You could go out into the city gates. You could go out into some public place, bring Mary along and say, I now publicly divorce her. She is carrying a child. It is not mine. I did not defile her. I did not produce this child. She is pregnant with a child not mine. Therefore, I divorce her. And he publicly makes that clear that he was the innocent one. And, and, and again, he would have every right to do that. He was innocent. He didn't do anything wrong. And, and he had every right to go that route. But there was another way he could, have chose to, he could choose to go. And that is to divorce her quietly. To just get two people and to say, the contract is broken. If they said why, he could say, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And that's what he chooses to do. I mean, think of that in that moment. He has been wronged. He has been shamed. He has been lied to. He has been, in his mind, all of these things. And, and yet he chooses. And, and yet he chooses to do this. And Matthew tells us he, he does it quietly because he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. Joseph would take a hit for this. His reputation, by not explaining the situation, by not telling everybody that he was not the father, people were going to be talking. By not saying anything, he was going to have to bear the pain. But he said, I am willing to do this. And this, my friends, tells us something really important about God's law and about righteousness and being faithful to God's law. And, and I think we need to start to get this better and better again and again. You see, righteousness is not just doing the right thing, but it's doing the right thing in the right it's doing the right thing in the right way. You can do the right thing in the wrong way and it becomes a wrong thing, okay? And it still might be true. The right way is always protecting and guarding, okay? And I think it's so important for us to recognize this. Joseph is somebody who follows the law and the ultimate law of the Lord, the ultimate law of God is love. And that was true in the Old Testament. It's true in the New Testament. And so the ultimate law is to love your neighbor. The ultimate law is to protect those around you. The ultimate law is to guard others. And so Joseph is willing to take a hit himself in order to protect Mary. Joseph is willing to pay the price himself in order to protect Mary. And that is, for me, a huge challenge. Because you know what I want to do when I'm wronged? I want to let everybody know what you did to me. I want to hurt you as much as you hurt me. And, 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 and especially if it's true, especially if it's right, 
Again, Joseph has every right to go public. Joseph has every right to embarrass her, to shame her, to humiliate her, but he doesn't. You see, I think what Joseph wants us to learn and what God wants us to learn through Joseph is that, yeah, everything we say should be true, but not every true thing needs to be said. Not every true thing needs to be said. And sometimes God's law and God's love calls us to just be quiet and just to say, not your business. You don't need to know. Yeah, but everybody's going to think, you messed up, Ron. I mean, how, you, don't, you, don't you want to protect your name? doesn't matter. I'm not worried about protecting my name. God will protect my name. I'm going to protect that person's name. Can you imagine if we did that for each other? Can you imagine if we refused to speak if it was going to hurt somebody else? Now, I'm not talking about covering up stuff. That's a danger. I'm not talking about that. But I think there are so many times, I, 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 because I've been thinking about this all week, I have caught myself at least four times in the last week saying more than I needed to. Because I wanted the kids to know this was mom's fault. I did. And I caught, gee, I blew it again. Now, it was her fault. <laughs> it was. It's plenty of time my fault. But why did I say it? What good did it do? None. Absolutely zero. It didn't, the only thing it did is it lifted me up and it, hurt my wife that's not righteousness my words were true but they were not righteous think about I I mean it just you see this all over Mark D'Antonio those of you who are familiar with Michigan State football Max Bullock gets suspended and there are a thousand questions why did he do what'd he do Mark D'Antonio the coach of the Spartans good Catholic guy I'm not going to tell you it's not your business get mad at me if you want but I will not expose him to disgrace. What if we were committed to each other in that way? What if I was so committed to my wife that I never said anything that would embarrass her? True or not true? What if I was so committed to my kids that I would never throw them under the bus? What if I was so committed to every other staff member on this staff that whatever it was, say, I'll take the hit because I will not expose you to disgrace. Friends, that's righteousness. That's righteousness. It's not just doing the right thing. It's doing the right thing in the right way. And doing it in the right way means we protect and we guard. That's what Joseph decided to do, to divorce her, but to do it quietly. It was a really gracious, righteous, powerful, wonderful decision. But it wasn't the one God wanted, so God throws in another monkey wrench. God throws in another monkey wrench into Joseph's life. He comes up with his plan. He goes to sleep, and God says, eh, no, another lucky monkey wrench. An angel comes to Joseph. Three things the angel says, basically. Speaking for God, he says, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Don't be afraid to do this, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And when the baby is born, you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Notice something here, okay? Notice this, because I think this is so often the way life works. God does not say, don't be afraid, because it's all going to be good, right? God doesn't send the angel to say to Joseph, hey, don't be afraid, because it's all really going to go great. Everybody's going to recognize he's the Messiah. They're going to worship him. They're going to accept him. They're going to understand why I did all this, and everybody's going to be excited, because that ain't the way it's going to go. 
that that's not what, that, 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 that's just not, God knows that, that Joseph's life is going to forever be turned upside down. Joseph is going to have to run away to Egypt for two years. Joseph is going to have the challenges that come with raising God's son, whatever they are. I, I mean, Joseph's life is no longer his plan. Joseph life, Joseph's life is no longer the way he wants it to go. God doesn't say, you know what, everything's going to be perfect, don't worry, trust me. And God doesn't say, hey, don't be afraid, because even though it's not going to be good, this is exactly how things are going to go. I mean, right, I'll go through a lot of pain if I know there's a purpose. I'll go through a lot of difficulty if I know there's an end. I'll go through a lot of struggles if I know that somehow this is going to make a difference. And and so it would have been really nice if God had come to Joseph and if God had said to Joseph, hey, look, don't be afraid to take her home as your wife because it's going to go bad. I mean, they're going to talk about you. They're going to talk about your kid. They're going to talk about Mary. You're going to have to go to Egypt. You're going to have to come back. Ultimately, your son is going to be crucified on a cross, uh, but I'm going to raise him from the dead, okay? Let me just, if, if you know the plan, it'll be easier for you. God doesn't give Joseph the plan. God doesn't say, this is how it's going to go. God says, don't be afraid, because I'm in it. And that's all Joseph gets. <laughs> that's all Joseph gets. That's why what I imagine as I think about Joseph, as he wakes up from this dream, and as he reflects on it, as he chews on it, he realizes that God's question for Joseph is, do you trust me? I mean, what God is doing is he's coming to Joseph and saying, Joseph, I'm going to throw your life over the wall. Do you trust me? Joseph, I'm going to make things really difficult for you. Do you trust me? Joseph, things will never go according to your plan. But it'll be what needs to be. I will be with you every step of the way. Do you trust me? And I think that's God's question for us as well. Do you trust me? Do we trust him? God has this way of of continually putting us in really difficult situations. He doesn't tell us that they're going to be easy, and he doesn't tell us what's going to happen. He just says, trust me. In the coming year, God is going to call you to love some people who are really hard to love, and it is going to cost you. It is going to cost you a piece of your heart and maybe some of your pocketbook as well. But God is going to call you to love some people, and you're not going to understand why, and you're not going to get it, but he's just going to say, do you trust me, Ron? Do you trust me? You trust me because I'm in it. God may in the next year call you to give more money than you've ever given in the past. You say, well, God, I'm not sure. You're going to make sure that I got enough to... No, I'm not going to tell you what's going to happen. You might be broke. My question is, do you trust me? All I promise you, all I promise you, God says, is that I will be there every step of the way. Do you trust me? God will call us to forgive somebody who's really hard to forgive. God may call us to trust him in the loss of a spouse or a child or a grandchild or a parent. But over and over, over again in the coming year, God is going to stick his hand out to us and he's going to say, do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Will you do what I call you to do even though you can't see where we're jumping? Even though you know it's going to mess up your life? Do you trust me. That was God's question for Joseph, and Joseph's answer was yes. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. He gave him the name Jesus. Joseph said yes. In his own quiet way, he doesn't say it out loud, but he just does what God calls him to do. So this morning we celebrate the birth of Jesus is wonderful news. He will save us from our sins. It is God's grace among us. But make no mistake, 
make no mistake, this little baby, he will mess up our plans. He will mess up our plans. God loves monkey wrenches. And he won't tell us why. And he won't tell us that it's going to be easy. And he won't tell us exactly how it's going to go. But he will stick out his hand and he will ask us, will we trust him? Will we trust him? Will you love who he calls you to love and serve who he calls you to serve? Trust him with your health and your money and every breath you take. It'll be a wild magic carpet ride, I guarantee you. Jasmine said yes. She got the ride of her life. It's nothing compared to what God wants to take us on. It's not going to be easy. But the more we learn to say yes, the more we discover that God is faithful. Let's pray together. Father, think about Joseph and what it must have been like to all of a sudden have his life turned upside down and then to say, okay, I'll I'll do this thing that's tough, but I'll do it. And then you say, no, Joseph, I want you to go further. Father, thank you for his faithfulness. Thank you for his trust. Lord, send your spirit to teach us to trust. Lord, it's scary. We like to know where things are going to go. We like to follow our plans. But as we begin a new year, as we follow the Savior King, whose birth we celebrated, as we do that, Lord, give us faith. Help us to trust that being with you is the greatest adventure of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We please stand to receive God's parting benediction. Once again, following our service, there are going to be some folks from Hillside in the prayer room there to my right, to your left. If you'd like to talk with somebody, pray with somebody after the service, they'd be happy to meet with you. People of God, now as we go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us. And may we know that it is dangerously safe to trust him. Go in God's grace. Amen.